Hey friends, uh, we're coming to you from my office. We're in my house. Um, you get my art up there. And we thought we'd come to you for the sermon time for my office because why not? Um, it's good to change up the scenery every now and then. And so if you're joining us for the first time, this, if this is your first time with us, uh, this is a time when we set aside to uh, ask big questions, to get curious, to explore what it means to be human and alive in this world. So it's not about believing what I believe. It's not about agreeing with me. This is just about asking some big questions, opening up some issue, exploring some intersections, and seeing where it takes us. So today, for the sermon, we've got a few things for you. We are going to be talking about Victorian fax machines. We're going to talk about the thing that Bill Bryson said. We're going to talk about the bass note underneath it all, that Drew Holcomb song. And then we'll leave you with three things to take home with you. Three things that you can put on the back burner to let simmer and think about in the days to come. So let's start with the fax machines. And we're going to start by going all the way back to May 1st, 1918, 1851. About 170 years ago, if my math is correct. Almost exactly 170 years ago. Anyways, it was the opening day of the Great Exhibition. It was the world's first Fair. took place in London. It was in this big crystal cathedral they called the Crystal Palace. And while the whole thing was really about imperialism and colonial power, one of the main draws of this thing was how it showed off what our world could be like. All the exhibits there were all about our best inventions, the brightest ideas, emerging industries, showcasing just how big humanity can be, where we could go, and what this world could be like. So you would go in and you would see what would become the first fax machine. You would go in and you could play with the first uh, voting machine. You would go in and you would see what would become modern kitchens. You could go in you could pay a penny to use flushing toilets. Public washrooms, the first time public washrooms appeared at this fair. So imagine that, because that's all pretty stock stuff to us. But imagine going into that thing, into that huge building, and experiencing all of that for the first time. Wait, wait, wait. So I can send a letter that just magically goes from here to there. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. So I can just, like, put my sandwich in this box, and it stays good for a few days and won't go bad? Wait, wait. I don't actually need to bring wood in from outside to put it in the box to light the fire to heat the thing up in order to cook my food? Nope. Imagine that. Imagine that. World-changing stuff. I mean, it would change everything. Suddenly. Suddenly everything's up in the air. Suddenly what is doesn't have to be. Suddenly, what could be is anything. Like, no wonder it was such a hit. It sparked people's imaginations. Over six million people came out to this thing. Six million people. In 1851, that's a huge amount of people. And the thing was so big, it caused such a buzz that World Fair started appearing everywhere in the world. Every year, a new city would host it. And they'd show off the best inventions, the brightest ideas, the emerging industries, all of it designed to show where we could go. Just what is the height of human ability? 
But then, in, uh, what is it, 1986, they just stopped. That was the last one. Now, all kinds of people have given all kinds of reasons for why they stopped. But Bill Bryson, the author and historian, uh, here's what he thinks is going on. And this is good. This has got some weight to it. Get ready for this. Bill Bryson thinks that the reason they stopped happening is because people forgot how to imagine. Yeah, I know, I know. Oh, they forgot how to imagine. But let's just pull over here because this has got some weight to it. Because to forget how to imagine isn't simply about losing the capacity to dream and imagine, to play and create, to practice awe and wonder. It's actually a lot deeper and darker than that. To forget how to imagine means to accept your reality. It means to become convinced that this, all that we see around us and feel within us, is just the way it is. It means that you think what is happening right here and right now isn't only normal and therefore tolerable, but also acceptable and good. To forget how to imagine is to turn um, this belief into a truth that reality is final, that it's fixed, it's closed. So why bother making new stuff up? Why even bother envisioning a new tomorrow? It doesn't matter because this is just the way it is and nothing can be done to change it. Yeah, yeah it's heavy stuff, isn't it? Now, maybe a bit ironically, it's not hard to imagine why we've lost our imaginations. I mean, how many of us here today have gone through stuff that has felt so big and gone on for so long that it's just become normal? Yeah. Yeah, that's me. Or how many of us have felt these big, powerful things stare down at us where we just feel powerless to do anything? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Or how many of us have had the same thing happen again and again and again and again every single day where we know tomorrow is just going to happen again? Yeah, yeah, I've been there too. Or how many of us have had our hopes deferred just one too many times where we've just said, screw it. Where we've given up and we've given in. Yeah, yeah, me too. We all have, we all know that feeling. We know it at a collective level. We know it at a personal level. And that feeling, it's got a name. We call it despair. And despair is just the, the conviction that tomorrow is just going to be like today. That nothing is ever going to change. That this is just the way it is. This is how the world works. So why even bother with imagination? Why get caught up in that? Because it really doesn't matter. Because this is how it is. So give up. Give in. You can't do anything about it. Yeah. You have all the stuff going on in us and around us. Can you blame us for losing our imaginations? It makes perfect sense. We know how oppressive and powerful and heavy despair can be. But here's the thing. This is the thing about despair. There's this idea in our tradition. It was gifted to us by our Jewish brothers and sisters. And it's the idea that when God made the universe, when they spun it all into motion, they didn't finish the job. 
You can go look it up. Check out the book of Genesis. They left it intentionally unfinished. Instead of making it complete, God looked to creation to finish the job. They gave us and everything around us this ability to create, to dream, to generate, to make more. They empowered us to help direct where all this would go and shape what it would all look like. Now, now we could nerd out on this in all kinds of ways. We could spend days talking about that. But there's a truth in there. There's a base note underneath everything that we believe that is in that story. And that base note, that truth is this. It doesn't need to be that way. Let's say it again for those in the back. It doesn't need to be that way, right? Right? Yeah, it's good. It doesn't need to be that way. At the heart of how we understand ourselves in this world is this truth that says reality. Everything we know, everything we experience isn't fixed and final. It's a truth that says this isn't just the way it is, but the future is actually open. The story is still being written. There's always room for something new and different. There's a name for this idea. There's this name, a name for this truth that it doesn't need to be this way, that this isn't just the way it is. We call it hope. Hope is that conviction that regardless of what we see, experience, and feel, regardless of what's in us and around us, regardless of whatever is causing us despair, it doesn't need to be this way. And I don't know about you, but maybe we need to feel that base note these days. Maybe that's a truth we need to reclaim right now. Because the thing is, a black man jogging through a neighborhood shouldn't have to worry about being murdered. The Asian grocery store in our neighborhood shouldn't be closing down because people are scared to go in there. People shouldn't be put after profit. The world shouldn't be burning. People with mental health issues shouldn't have to fend for themselves. Oppression, discrimination, margin, marginalization, those shouldn't happen on a daily basis. Abuse shouldn't be tolerated. And then we can go on and on and on. There's so much to lament about in our world. But I mean, right there says it all. And while we could choose to let that get us down, well, we could choose to let despair win. But we need to remember that truth. We need to hold on to that base note. That it doesn't need to be that way. We don't need to live like that. A new kind of world, a new kind of life, a new kind of reality, it can exist. I was going for a walk the other day in my neighborhood and there's this guy in his yard, he was gardening, and he was just blasting this song called The End of the World by Drew Holcomb and the Neighbors. It's a great song. Um, look it up. And as I walked by, we kind of gave each other that nod. We're like, yeah. Like we both knew what we were talking about. We were both saying, yep, that song says it all. It's the end of the world, so smoke them if you got them. Because it kind of does feel like the world is ending, doesn't it? 
I mean, the world we had is fading away. We're entering into something new. We don't really know what it's going to look like yet or what it's going to feel like yet or what it all means. But all we do know is something new is happening. A new normal is coming and it's going to be different. Um, in our tradition, uh, there's a word we use for this. It's called apocalypse. And it's a pretty scary word because it makes us think of all these crazy action movies um, or thoughts of, you know, Jesus coming on clouds of fire and people being raptured up into the heavens. Uh, but all that stuff is either just really good entertainment or really bad theology. Because um, what we talk about when we talk about apocalypse, we're not talking about the end of the world. We're talking about the end of this world. And that's an important little distinction there. We're not talking about the end of the world. We're talking about the end of this world. When we talk about apocalypse, we're, we're literally talking about the unveiling, the rising up, the inbreaking, the arrival of something new in the midst of the old. And now this could be a world that exists inside of us, or it could be one around us, but whatever it is, it's a tipping point between what was and what could be. It's where what was becomes what's next. But here's the thing about apocalypse. Um, and this goes for the apocalypse that we're in right now as we kind of ride out this pandemic. Uh, what that new world looks like, what ends up rising up in us and around us, what remains after everything falls away, that isn't set. That's really up to us. Just like in that creation story, we get to choose the direction. We get to have a say in where it all goes and what it all looks like. We get to decide if it's going to be something beautiful and new and amazing, or if it's going to be something that's just the same. Or something even worse. And so as we look ahead to that something new, as we decide which direction this world is going to go, this is where we have to remember that truth and rediscover the, the sacred act of imagination. Because it's only there, it's only through reclaiming and relearning how to imagine that we can begin to create a new kind a world where those things that we listed don't happen. A world that has a new normal. A world not full of despair, but a world full of hope and love and justice. A world like the one that Jesus came to create. A world where everyone has enough and everyone has a place. Yeah, that world that's coming, yeah, it's up to us. It's up to me and to you, our neighbors. It's up to everyone. This is a really crucial time for us. Our voice matters now, maybe more than ever. This is the point where we need to double down on those truths, on those base notes, and rediscover imagination. And so knowing that imagination is crucial right now, knowing that this is something we need to be a part of, uh, a few things for you. Uh, three things on imagination um, three things that help us become midwives of that something new. And these are kind of riffing off each other. Um, so, uh, yeah, but each one's important. So we're just going to do, do them all. So first, number one. Um, I was walking with some friends the other day and we were having a chat. 
And we're talking about our, our dreams and our hopes for uh, not just ourselves, but this new world that is arriving. And one friend kept saying that the thing she wants to see, maybe more than anything else, was a more economically just world. A world that's set up to benefit everyone, that doesn't put profit before people, where po poverty isn't rampant. Um, a new kind of economic structure. She had no idea what it looked like, but that's what she wanted to see. And another friend looked at her, rolled his eyes, and was like, well, that is just ridiculous. And he didn't mean it was a stupid idea. He just meant that was too far off. That was too out there, too beyond anything he could ever see happening. But the thing is, and why I remembered that story, when it comes to imagination and creating a life and world you want to have, it's going to be ridiculous. Ridiculous isn't a bad word. It's actually a good word. It's the operative word. Just because it seems so far off, so innovative, so counterintuitive or countercultural, doesn't mean it can't or shouldn't happen. That's actually where it all begins. It begins in the ridiculous. Imagination starts with a ridiculous idea. It starts with us saying, what if? What if? What if I didn't have to prove my worth? What if we didn't have to rely on fossil fuels? What if we could actually talk about race and white supremacy? What if I insisted others treat me with love and respect? What if I stepped out of my comfort zone? What if I actually did that thing I always wanted to do? What if I could have that kind of relationship? We could go on and on and on. But it all starts there. It starts with a what if. And so what's your what if? What's your ridiculous idea? And once you have it, don't let anyone mock it. Don't let anyone shame you for having it. Don't let anyone gaslight you into thinking it's a stupid or impossible idea. Because it begins with a ridiculous idea. It begins with us saying, what if? Imagination begins by having a daring boldness to begin to believe that something new could happen. So that takes us into the second thing. So once you get that idea, once you discover your what if, remember this. Remember that anything good in life, anything worth having, it's going to require some sweat. The life and world we imagine, it's not going to happen on its own. It not only takes sticking to our convictions, it's also going to take some sweat. It's going to take some time and energy and effort. All good things do. If you've ever had a job you love, if you've ever been in a relationship, if you've had a goal, raised a kid, if you tried to make sourdough, you know this. You know all good things require some sweat. So once you find your what if and begin to make it happen, remember this. That life, that world, that thing you imagine, that thing that could exist. It not only takes some sweat, it's also worth some sweat too. And this is where mantras can be really helpful because mantras are just reminders, uh, these things that keep us grounded and focused, these little things we, we repeat to ourselves when the going get tough to help us keep on going. 
And one you can say to yourself when the going gets tough and opposition mounts and people begin to make fun of you for your idea, when they begin to taunt you and pull you back in despair, you can say this. This is worth it. This is what it takes. This is worth it. This is what it takes. And we need a mantra like that. Because the truth is, and this is the rub of it, and this takes us into the third thing, we will feel like quitting. We will feel like throwing in the towel and like that life, that world that we imagine, you know what, it's just too hard. And one of the things that will happen, this happens to me every single day. Um, here's what will happen. I'll start off trying to do my thing. I'm trying to give shape and form to this idea. I'm trying to birth this thing I'm imagining. And I'm putting all my sweat in. And then I take a break. And I'll go and read something one of my heroes have written. I'll read something by one of my teachers. And it's just so freaking perfect. Right? I read it and it's like, like, I can't do that. I'll never be that good. So I just stop. I start to feel some shame. I start to, I start to feel small. Like my offering, the thing I'm making, is really not that good. It's not worth being seen in comparison to that. So I give up. I give in. I stop. Anyone have a story like that? Yeah, I'm sure we all do in all kinds of ways. Because the thing is, we live in a world of competition and comparison. And if my story is your story, you know how exhausting that world is, right? You know how competing and comparing kills our joy. You know how it sucks the life out of our imaginations. But the thing is, that's not the game that we're supposed to be playing. See, it's not about competing, and it's not about comparing. What it's all about is contributing. Right? Alice Walker, she is a poet and a teacher, and she says this. She says that the key to changing our world... What does she say? Where is it? Ah, this is what she says. She teaches. That lives and worlds don't ever change from one person's actions. But they change from the million and million and million of contributions from millions and millions and millions of people. Every single one of them offering a small stone to the pile that eventually shifts the flow of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Once we shift from competition and comparison and to contribution, everything changes. Suddenly the stress is gone. Suddenly I'm not working against them. Suddenly I'm working with them. Suddenly I'm listening to them. I'm riffing off of them. I'm creating with them. I'm collaborating with them. Suddenly my imagination is going places I didn't think was possible. Suddenly momentum is building, and the things that once seemed ridiculous don't seem so ridiculous anymore. And suddenly something takes something that you created or I created or somebody else created, and they do something with it, and then someone else sees that and like, oh, I know how to do that. 
And they take that thing that used to be this idea, this thing that was just so outlandish, so ridiculous, and they turn it into reality. They make it real. Suddenly that life and world that we thought was ridiculous, suddenly that is our reality. So whatever your what if is, whatever you imagine, regardless of what others have done or are doing, your contribution is needed. It matters. The world needs your voice. It needs your fire. It needs that thing inside of you. Because you never know where it will go. You never know if your stone will be the one that shifts everything. So keep contributing. Keep imagining because it matters. So those are the three things. It's going to take some sweat. Honor your contribution and get ridiculous. Uh, put those in your pocket. See where they take you. And so my friends, for now, um, as our world ends and a new one emerges, may you know that this is not the end. May you know that it doesn't need to be this way, but a new kind of world is possible. And may you add your stone. May you get imaginative and may you help us create something new a world not like that one but a world where everyone has enough and everyone has a place may grace and peace be with you